Once again with conviction, how are you doing today? Guys, we've got a real issue because Magna Academy has hidden the lectern, which means kind of I've improvised with this, but I feel like I've got to hold my Bible and I've got to do a whole... I have to concentrate. I'm a man, so I cannot multitask. So if I have to hold something and a microphone and read and preach simultaneously, who knows where this is going to go today? Uh, Get your Bibles. Go to Matthew 8. God just impressed something different on my heart, uh, which is fine, and hopefully I'll be able to weave it into the theme this morning. But just as we've like heard from the Lord this morning, I just want to capitalize on some of that. But uh, happy summer. Happy summer Sunday. For those of you who are not currently at a festival or abroad, sucks to be you, doesn't it? Really, in many ways, because you're here today. No, it doesn't. This is a great place to be. Um, we've got loads of our friends and family of Sunny Hill Church uh, going around the country at the moment, hitting up all the festivals. But next week, we've got our own Sunny Hill Festival. Yes! Oh, it's going to be so good. On the Sunday, we've got inflatables and stuff. And we're even taking Lounge One to camp as well. So we're going to have barista-style coffee at camp. Okay, so you're not going to rough it too much. Because we recognize at Sunny Hill, we're all about Jesus and coffee. Okay, we've seen that. We know your ways. And so um, we're looking forward to that next week. So if you're not currently booked in to come on the Sunday... As Louise said, we would love it if you would join us next Sunday because there's going to be nothing here or in Ferndown. Check your emails on Wednesday morning because we'll send you all the directions if you haven't registered how to get there and um, bring a packed lunch. It's going to be an amazing day. And then in the evening, we have a talent show, which is going to be amazing because last week you heard Louise like try a hand at rapping, didn't you? You saw that with your own eyes. Well, you should see what she's got in store for the talent show next week. It's going to be so good. I call her Lupac. (laughs) Okay, right. Everyone under 40 may be like, yeah, I get that, but it's still a rubbish joke. Anyways, Matthew 8, it's time to lead. Over the last week, uh, Caleb has been uh, at camp which has been great for him, hard for us, because like for 11 years, he's been by our side. But this week, Louise was sleeping with his teddy. (laughs) It was the funniest thing. Like the first thing she would do when she'd wake up is just scour the bed for the teddy. Where's it gone? Where's it gone? And um, But we got him back safe and sound, and some of the lads, some of the kids went to camp. And if you did serve as a leader at that camp and you're here today, like, Great rewards for you in heaven. My gosh, I cannot wait. Yeah, I cannot wait to see the mansion that you are living in. It's going to be like Camford Cliffs on the seafront. It's going to be amazing because that is literally 24-7 ministry. So thank you for doing that. And if you're here today, even greater rewards in heaven. Unbelievable. You are like professional Christian this morning. So that is amazing. Caleb bought us all some gifts which is really kind because we only gave him a few quid, but he, he bought some gifts. So he bought uh, Judah and Zeke, his younger brothers, these fidget, spinned, fidget spinners, which are pretty cool, and they bounce, so the kids are so happy. He bought Louise a wristband. Have you got it there? What does it say? Proverbs 3, 5, which is all about trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And um, he obviously looked at the shop and thought, what does my dad need? He bought me a book, right? I haven't read it yet, and the book is called Making Sense of Life. (laughs) I was like, gee, thanks, son. Mom gets this inspirational Bible verse on her wrist, the kids get toys, and I get a manual. It's almost like Caleb's assessed my life and says, this man needs help. (laughs) Making sense of his lot, making sense of the way forward. Um, But yeah. So anyways, Matthew 8, wonderful present. Thank you, Caleb. Matthew 8. This is just something that God put in my heart, and it's something I've shared before 
um, a few camps ago, I think, but it was just that idea of expectation this morning. Uh, and it's the story, I think it's in Matthew 8, right? Um, the Roman centurion. So uh, Matthew 8, verse 5. Check this out. There's no, uh, there, might, there might be scriptures on the screen, but I haven't given them to Richard. Um, so Matthew 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And what's interesting about this is this is uh, a non-Jew. This is a Roman centurion. So he's, quite, uh, he's got credentials in the Roman Empire, quite high up in the military. And so he understands the principle of authority, that when you give instruction to somebody beneath you or something under your jurisdiction or something under your command, that that word will hold even if you're not there in person. And so the Roman centurion says, look, my servant is ill, okay, um, and he's not doing well. And Jesus' response is, because to this point, Jesus has only met people who want healing face-to-face. Jesus says, well, shall I come? And the Roman centurion says, you don't need to come. You just need to send the word, and he will be made well. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Have you ever thought that? Like, imagine amazing Jesus. Wouldn't that be so cool? Like, to be able to amaze Jesus, the Son of God the savior of the world, the perfect king. Like imagine amazing Jesus. Like Jesus looking at what you're doing and going, wow, that's amazing. I often think Jesus might think that about my husbandness. I don't know. What do you reckon, Lou? Probably not. Okay. What about my fathering, Caleb? What about my fathering? No? Okay, right. (sighs) Making sense of life, I guess. I'll read chapter one later. But Jesus was amazed at this Roman centurion's faith. He says, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. In other words, Israel is a picture of those on the in-gang, a picture of those who really have a history with God. And Jesus says, you've got greater faith as an outsider than anyone I've met who's an insider. He says in verse 11, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Basically saying there is going to be a finality and an outcome to this thing called life. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, now listen to this, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. I like another translation. I'm not sure what translation it is. It might be NLT, but it goes like this. It says, according to your expectations, according to your expectation, let it be done. Now, I find this a very provocative um, scripture because for me, what we generally incline to believe is that if I, uh, this is solely talking about positive faith, that there's an outcome to my belief. And we read that. If you read the New Testament, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that your faith is so powerful. That when you put faith in Christ and you put confidence in his purpose and you believe that he is going to work, then the Bible really says, according to your belief, these things will happen. You'll be able to move mountains. You'll be able to cast mountains into the ocean. I mean, it's pretty wild, the the gravitas and the strength of faith. 
But what I like about this soundbite, according to your expectation, or go, and it will be done just as you said it would, or just as you hoped it would, is this, is it works for the better, but I also think it can also work for the worse. In other words, maybe right now in life, you've got this expectation. Nothing's going to change. Well, just imagine Jesus standing before you this morning saying, yeah, according to your expectation, let it be done. You know, this marriage can never get better. Okay. According to your expectation, let it be done. I will always be single. According to your expectation, let it be done. My children will never kind of straighten out and improve. According to your expectation, let it be done. My work will never, my, my place of employment will always be toxic. Well, according to your expectation, let it be done. There's this provocation here in Matthew 8 that Jesus says, come on, increase your expectation. Begin to believe for God's best in your life. That there's something supernatural about the church in the sense that in a society and in a culture that is loaded with fear, and concern about the future, we as believers and followers of Christ, we need not fear. Jehovah Jireh, he is our provider. So with inflation and increasing tax and all these things, actually, as the people of God, there is something supernatural about our existence. And so this morning, I really want to provoke you to increase your expectation, to actually believe that God's hand is upon your life, to believe that he has an amazing purpose and plan for your future. To believe that actually he is capable, he is the good physician, he is able to do what doctors cannot do. He is able to kind of touch every aspect of your life, your mentality, the things that the drugs can't touch. Jesus is able to minister to directly. Why? Because he formed you. You are his creation. And so really, my, 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 my goal, I mean, it wasn't until we heard those words, is that this morning we would leave with a resolve to say, come on, I'm going to begin to align my expectations with God's expectations for my future. I'm going to stop partnering with the enemy. I'm going to stop partnering with those who are toxic and those of small belief in my life. And I'm going to begin to believe for great things ahead. I'm going to begin to change and alter my expectations because I understand the principle of authority. Jesus need only send a word. Just a word. And that's enough. Which kind of really sets us up beautifully just for a few moments. It is going to be shorter today because it's summer. And I don't know what that's got to do with anything. But people want to be outside, don't we? We want to be hanging out. Um, But... Galatians 5.22, coming to the end of our series now, this is the last message within the orchard. We've worked through systematically all nine aspects of the fruit. And in Galatians 5.22, hopefully it's going to be on the screen, otherwise I'll just make them up. Um, 22, ideally, although that's a good verse too. You don't have verse 22. Okay, the one verse that the whole series is built on, we do not have. Okay, but basically... Paul writes to the church, the Galatian church, and he says, the fruit of the Spirit. So he says, don't live according to the fruit of the flesh. I know what it is. I'm just hoping that people could see it. Um, The fruit of the flesh is wickedness, hatred, immorality, all these things. But he says, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. That's what forbearance means. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness. And uh, Phil did a brilliant word on that last Sunday. If you didn't see it or hear it, you need to go and watch it. It's so good. 
And then this last one, and self-control. Self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, I just want to kind of put a different light on this because I think typically when we get to the self-control thing, I think Phil kind of gave voice to it last week. He said it's the least desirable of all the aspects of the fruit because it requires in some way saying no to ourself. And me and Phil were talking on the Monday and we were saying, well, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that this, the thing that follows the back of the list is really the gateway to all the other fruits of the Spirit, all the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. You see, in 2022, in the age of social media, we've heard of (laughs) self-indulgence. We've heard of self-love. We've heard of self-obsession and self-centeredness. We even have selfies, okay? We take selfies all the time. And as a family, get in the camera. Come on, we're going to take one of self, right? I just think, like, back in the day when they invented pictures, I just don't, never intended that they just, like, hold them out and take a picture of yourself like that. But that's what life is now. It's, like, all about self. But Paul says at the end of the list here that an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control. Now, here's the challenge. This is a brilliant quote. I'm going to read it to you by D.A. Carson. Hopefully, it's going to be on the screen. But he says this. People do not drift toward holiness. Try and take this in. People do not drift towards holiness. They don't just end up holy, okay? Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. So, So we don't just drift there. It's not like we just go into autopilot and then rock up a praying discipline life. He's saying we don't drift there. He says we drift toward compromise and we call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. You know, we do that as humans, don't we? You put a positive spin on all of our dysfunctions, right? We drift towards superstition and call it faith. And we cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control And we call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. I always find that so funny when, like, you know, you begin to just suggest that someone might need a bit more discipline in their life. And they say, oh, no, I'm anti-religious. Like, if I put discipline into my life, then I'm becoming legalistic and I've missed the gospel of grace. Because the gospel of grace is just easy come, easy go. The expectation of the, on the gospel of grace is just simply that we come to church and sing some songs. That actually the gospel doesn't really affect my Monday, it just really affects my Sunday morning. He says, we slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. That's a great, great thought. You should take a picture of that if you have a camera phone because it's something that I think is so true in life. In the creative order, we've talked about this before, it's called the law of entropy, where things are just inclined to get worse rather than better. Where like your finances without intentionality and without investment and thinking, your finances will just get worse. You'll find that your budget margins kind of, oh, can you put that back up please, Richard? You'll find that your budget margins get more slack. You know, without investment and intentionality, you'll find that your marriages will just slide. Without investment and intentionality, you'll find that your children just go off the rails because actually this life requires focus. It requires intentionality. It requires asserted thinking to go, you know what? I'm going to take control of this life. Enter self-control. 
You see, so often what we do is we say, self-control is about saying no to things like porn. Or self-control is like saying no to smoking pot. Or self-control is saying no to lust. And it is that, for sure. But actually, I think self-control is equally to do with, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to God. I'm going to say yes to His Word. I'm going to say yes to His purpose. I'm going to say yes to prayer. I'm going to say yes to praise. Self-control isn't just about what you cut out of your life. It's about what you release into your life. Putting things in your life. Building blocks in your life. That means that you do not drift, but that you sail towards God's preferred future. Intentionality. Just imagine like if you go out on a boat. Has anyone ever been on a yacht? I've always fancied myself as a... I'm not going to finish yet. I've always fancied myself. Now, I've always fancied myself as a bit of like a marine or something, not in like the army so much because that looks too hard work, but like on the sea, kind of making headway. And when I had sabbatical a few years ago, I decided I was going to go and hang with a friend called Jason down in Penzance, where Phil lives now. And uh, he's got a few yachts. And the, the goal was to get on a yacht and sail to the Scilly Isles, okay? Because I just thought that was a fitting place for me to go to. I thought, I need to see this place called Scilly. It looks amazing, okay? And so I jump on the boat fully expectant, probably not so much, but hopeful that I would get to the Silly Isles in just a few hours. And like, I was ready. I had my boat shoes on. I had like these leather moccasins. I looked the part. I had that kind of Jules kind of style t-shirt on. I had chinos on. I looked like I was ready for a yacht. And literally, I was like bossing it all the way out of the harbor where it was totally still. And then as soon as we got out of the harbor, totally different game. Totally different game. I mean, the waves must have been at least half a foot high. I mean, the swell was insane. The boat was rocking. And it really wasn't bad. The thing is, Jason was captain of the ship, and he came out and says, oh, this is a good day for sailing. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is petrifying. And within about 10 minutes of committing to that journey, I thought, I'm going to go into the cabin and lie on the bed which is like literally the worst thing you can do when you start to feel a little bit nauseous. And I'm on the bed, and like I've got, I've got two thoughts in my head. Because we've planned like three days on the Isle of Scilly, I really don't want to have to come back to Jason and say, listen, man, we need to go back, <laughs> right? Um, and my other thought was, so, so that's one option, which I don't really want to do. The other thought was this, is um, Jesus, do you want to make your glorious return right now? I'm open to that as an option as well. Like, right now, come and take us to be where you are so that I can keep face with Jason and no one will ever have to know about this. Jesus didn't come back in the following three or four minutes, so I went out to the boat, and as I go out to see him, my head is over the side, and I am heaving like there's no tomorrow. You need all of that information. You need it. Okay. And I'm, I've kind of got my head between these two cable wires that are the, the boundary of the boat like this, and as the boat's rocking, I'm like... <laughs> like that. <laughs> My head's just rattling. Every time it goes up, there's stuff going on the boat that you don't want to know about. And Jason is here, and it's sunny, and it's beautiful, and it's relatively calm by sailing terms. But I am undone. I am struggling. And he says, hey, um, he says, I was thinking. He was, he was so gracious. He says, I was thinking. It would be kind of cool if we just stayed in the harbor, wouldn't it? <laughs> he was so kind, that man. And I said, yeah. I was like, I was thinking the, just, I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> I'm like, that would be great, Jason. Thank you. And so we go into harbour, and literally for the next three days, we literally just sail around the port. 
And like, you know, every day we would go out for about 12 foot outside of the harbor, see how it is. Like if it was okay, we'd anchor up just outside the harbor and like, you know, I have no idea why I'm saying that really. What was that even about? Um, Drifting, that's it. (laughs) Tenuous link there. Drifting. But this is the idea that like, imagine if we just push out the boat to sea and just go, well, in eight hours we'll be on the Isle of Scilly. You'd go, Dom, you're mad. Because actually to do that, you've got to have a map. You've got to get your coordinates. You've got to align your sails. You've got to steer into the wind. You've got to look for the currents. You've got to know what time the sea's coming in and going out. You've got to do all of this preparation and intentionality in order to move to the preferred future where you want to be. Yet most of us don't live with that intentionality. Most of us just go into the world without any thought consideration, without any sort of self-control, and we just think, hopefully, we're going to rock up at God's best. Hopefully, we're going to end up at God's destination for us. Hopefully, my relationships are just going to flourish just because I've simply left the harbor. But the truth is, this is what discipleship is. Discipleship, if you like, is coming out of the harbor and committing to actually intentionally seeking the Lord. To actually saying, it's not enough for me to just go to church once a week and hope that all my relationships flourish. But actually, I'm going to be vigorous. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to be invested. I'm going to seek the Lord and I'm going to focus on his word. I'm going to meditate on his word day and night. And the psalm says that the person who does that is like an evergreen tree planted by streams of living water. So make no mistake about it. When you look at somebody who you're impressed by in the faith and go, wow, look at their ministry. Wow, look at their marriage. Wow, look at their family. Let me tell you, they didn't just hope for the best. They intentionally plotted and planned and invested into their soul. And the byproduct is health. Health in relationship, health at work, health in life. Listen to this, right? Because I was thinking um, about this idea, and I read something by John Stott, and he's a really good Bible thinker. And he says that the most accurate way to understand self-control, I think this would be really helpful for you, that the most accurate way, when you look at the Greek words, is actually self-leadership. Self-leadership. Because that idea of control is to do with governance. So it's to do with self-governing. It's to do with governing yourself. But the problem is most people don't want to govern themselves. Most people just want people to accept them the way they are. And I get it. It's a nice idea. But the truth is without intentionality and without control and self-governance, you're not going to be a brilliant person to be around. Your life is going to be inclined towards chaos and dysfunction. Your relationships are going to become increasingly toxic. Because listen, I started leading in church full-time back in 2007, which means now I've been like 15 years in full-time ministry. And you're thinking, how does a 19-year-old achieve that? I know that's exactly what you're thinking. Well, I started when I was four years old. Um, But no, me and Louise, literally, we got married 15 years ago. We just started in ministry full-time. And I'm not kidding you when I say that the hardest person I've ever come up against in leadership in those 15 years is me. (laughs) Of course, there's been some challenging people in Sunny Hill. Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Those losers have left a long time ago. We're just left with the good ones now. No, of course, we're all challenging at different times. 
But the hardest person I've ever had to lead is myself. Because actually, I don't want to be led. Not even by me. I don't want to be led by anyone, including myself. I kind of just want to be left to be. And what I've found is that my greatest enemy outside of Satan, okay, is my flesh. It's my flesh. You know, my dad told me this joke when I came into ministry, and it's always stuck with me. There was this guy walking down the road, and he goes past this old chapel in the countryside, and Satan is sitting on the step outside the chapel, and he's crying his eyes out. Okay, so Satan is just here. He's like, <laughs> I know I'm a great actor. Oscar, please, thank you. Satan's just crying on the step. <laughs> and the man comes up and he says, what's wrong? And Satan says, they blame everything on me in there. <laughs> well, that's the most awkward, <laughs> gentle response I've ever had to one of my jokes. Wait, wait, let me Siri. Hey, Siri, memo to self, never tell a joke ever again. Satan crying his eyes out on the step of the church, saying they blame everything on me in there. But the truth is, is that more often than not, you're not actually coming up against Satan. Satan is not omnipresent. He is not as powerful as God. God is omnipresent. Satan is not. In fact, the chances of you ever being tempted by Satan himself is massively unlikely, unless you're a total giant like Reinhard Bonnke or Billy Graham. Yes, there are principalities and powers. In other words, demonic forces at work to kind of put you off track. But let me tell you this, is the greatest enemy most of the time that you'll face day to day is your flesh. Because your flesh is fallen. You know, when you give your life to Jesus, you, you become, your soul is saved, but your flesh is still corrupt. And so the next day when you wake up, you've now given your life to Jesus, which means now you are in a saving relationship with Jesus, but you're still partnered to you. Which means that discipleship is about conforming the fallen aspect to you to the reality and the intentions of God. Which is like this idea of um, ultimately saying that you need to lead yourself. You can blame your predicament in life on your parents if you want. You can blame it on the church if you want. You can blame it on your leaders if you want. You can blame it on your colleagues or your boss if you want. But let me tell you, the one person that you are called to lead is yourself. That's what this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is. Because you may not be able to lead your boss. You may not be able to lead your spouse. You may not even be able to lead your children anymore. But you can still lead you. Let me say this, your ability to lead yourself will determine your ability to lead others. That actually, if you want to lead your spouse, or you want to lead your children, or you want to lead your colleagues, or you want to lead those in your small group, or anyone under your care, you're never going to be as effective until you have learned to lead yourself. Let me read this scripture. Oh, actually, before you do, can you put this picture up, please, Richard? Ah, that's little Zeke, just a couple of months after he was born. And um, he was in hospital. He had quite a few pipes. You can't see them all. He had some breathing issue around December time, was it? What's that? October, November. That's Christmas time, isn't it? Um, and um, he had breathing issues, and he was taken into hospital, and he, he was all over the place. And obviously, being so young and so vulnerable he was unable to kind of breathe for himself. So they hooked him up to kind of breathing machines and 
kind of had this thing up his nose, had a thing in his arm, and he was in there for a few days. And I just remember kind of on the first day, me and Louise going in, and up until this point, really, although we'd had some challenges with our kids, and I know some of you have had way more things to face, way more significant things to face, but this isn't a competition. I'm just giving you my kind of perception in this moment, is that at this moment, it was almost like up until this point, everything had kind of gone to plan, and now all of a sudden, something outside of our control was playing out. And it, we felt really helpless and hopeless. And, and um, you know, Louise was obviously really concerned, and I was concerned as well. But I was, I was the man, so I was trying to be more strong and just optimistic and hopeful, saying, I'll be fine, he's in the right place, all this kind of stuff. But I felt inside that, like, my peace had been robbed, and I, I felt like my, my, my concentration on God was kind of waning because I was just obsessed and focused on all of this. And I, was, uh, I got a Bible from the hospital, which was interesting because it was a King James Version. And um, I was just doing my Bible readings, and I read this verse. And I've read through the Bible a number of times. But when I read this verse, I was like, wow, I've never seen this before. Uh, can you put up the verse, please? Um, Richard, it says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And there I was at the bedside of Zeke. And what I felt God was saying to me was that, like, if I don't rule over my spirit, then actually, if, if you think about the Old Testament context, I am like a city that is totally vulnerable to attack. That unless I intentionally decide to begin to rule over my spirit. So I can't change the circumstances. I can't get Zeke out of hospital. I, I, I can't make Louise more at peace. But what I can do is I can begin to rule myself. To not allow myself to go down rabbit holes of fear, anxiety, and concern, and dread. But rather intentionally rule myself to thinking God is in control. No matter what happens, God is in control. No matter how this plays out, God is still good. There's another translation. I like the amplified version. This is the amplified version. He that does not... No, I'm joking. He that does not lead his own spirit <laughs> is like a city that is broken and without walls. So now it uses the term lead. He that does not lead... His own spirit is like a city that is broken and without walls. And then finally, the NIV version. I like it too because it brings us back to the fruit. Look, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. So, so this is the big picture today because I've got four minutes left. I just want to invite the keyboarder to come up and start playing. No, I'm joking. Um, is that like think of your life as a city. That was my revelation in hospital when I read that scripture late at night. Think of my life as a city. Think of Nehemiah in the Old Testament who had the burden to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Why? Because when the walls were in ruin, Israel were totally open to attack and being overtaken by the enemy. And so Nehemiah weeped over the state of the walls and then intentionally began to start building the walls of the city. And what I want to say today is, as we conclude the series, The Orchard, is that can we become intentional about rebuilding the walls of our life? Because maybe this morning 
you know that you've conceded territory. Maybe this morning you know that you have faltered. Maybe this morning you know that you have um, lost or misplaced a habit or a discipline. I know that when people came into COVID, it ruined everyone's habits. And people, some people have struggled to rebuild healthy disciplines into their life. But just picture your soul like a city today. And go, look at that city. Actually, you know what? I want to partner with God at making that city so strong, so powerful, and so beautiful. It's such an important thing because where do vulnerable, broken people flee when there's a problem? The city. Listen, like there are people in the world who need strong people in their world. There are people in the world who need consistent, constant, faith-filled, faith-filled people in their world. And as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, the invitation is so simple. is can you build a city that glorifies God, that protects your soul, and becomes a safe place for others in which to kind of feed from? So important as we think about this, because as we go into this next season... All the things that we've kind of come to learn about the orchard is that ultimately, whilst it is a work of the Spirit, and primarily that's what we need, the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's also about partnering with the Spirit and intentionally building love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control into our life. These are foundational building blocks to the city that God wants us to build. And so... uh, 